part one chapter ten section three of the last ditch by violet hunt this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part one chapter ten section three i know what she is going to do she did it i am told during the boer war and during the fashoda time when there was a danger of war with france and filled the whole upper story with tin meats which the family had to eat up and was grumbling over long after peace was declared and the moment this tiresome unfair moratorium is over she is going to realize her stocks and shares hoard sovereigns and store sacks of gold in the basement mother doesn't trust banks and ilsa is to bring back wine and linen and oil and silk stockings from abroad if she is mad enough to go all my people are mad in their separate ways ilsa comes south to-morrow or next day en route for the continent which indeed it is her custom to visit for a month in the autumn regularly she swears she will go naked rather than be clothed anywhere else than in paris the galerie lafayette calls one last clear call for ilsa and she will obey her pilot lying there in the dark stillness mother was snoring very gently i had a sort of wave of clarity a blinding intuition about ilsa flashed on my mind i wish to put it on record and it is fairly safe and no betrayal of ilsa to tell it to you who cannot put your oar in under a fortnight or a month i don't believe that my sister is going to run herself into discomfort and perhaps danger for the sake of clothes it isn't the galerie lafayette that calls it is a man there is a man in paris attached to quenford's staff who was with us at lochroyan this year he and ilsa never spoke to each other but then he was never known to speak to any one except presumably his valet i dare say i never mentioned him to you he was so utterly negligible but quite a good sort archie dunkeron the master of cremont now i come to think of it he was always in the room where ilsa was and his heavy handsome face always turned her way and ilsa never presumed on it never took liberties with him or asked him to fetch and carry for her never chaffed him or teased him in any way that she couldn't have done for he is a very scotch scotchman but she made a difference and when a lazy arrogant person like ilsa makes even a difference it may mean a great deal i know archie dunkeron is in paris he is indispensable to cousin alfred i don't know exactly in what capacity nobody does but it is obvious that in delicate missions and secret deals the master's impenetrable cast of countenance and badly hung tongue would be most useful i switched off that set of ideas and tried to go to sleep but i could not the thought of my dear ilsa and the dangers she was about to run for the sake of her love obsessed me and what mother had been telling me about the vulnerability of the east coast bothered me too although i was not actually afraid it was just excitement ilsa was going out to seek romance and romance was perhaps coming to me here in my bower where i had just made up my mind to live on in a shameful smug safety i got up and sat at the window which i ventured to open wide now that mother had gone to sleep regent's park is rather a vulgar sort of place by daylight not so romantic as kensington gardens near where we once lived up in what they call the dukeries holland park was full of owls and they shouted all night white ones i dare say there are owls in the regent's park too at any rate by night it is mysterious and beautiful enough those great blue-black blots of sodden dust-drenched foliage 
that merge into the paler gloom of night at the edges i imagine dirt makes them solid every leaf by this time of year coated with grime our house is high and i can see right over the tree-tops as far as edgware road and the chimneys of the power-station there like a tall spire jutting out of the leaves a strange thought came to me leaves boughs a sort of panoply masking an advancing army burnham wood coming to dunsinane you see how my sleepy mind worked i assure you that presently those dusky clumps to me were thick of men that bore up the screen of foliage and they moved i was convinced i saw them move it was only a fascinating play of thought at first that i encouraged as hard as i could for the fun of it a sort of voluptuous nightmare then somehow i was caught in my own springe it became a menace so impressively real that i stiffened as i sat there at the window i knew that even if staying meant death i could not have withdrawn i must see it out the hard stone sill cut me through my nightgown that there was as usual a button off barrymore is so careless i don't scold her enough as a matter of fact i don't care for smart night rail ilsa and her cult of fascinating undies had made me detest the sight of baby ribbon and lace as a protest i have designed myself an ascetic sort of nightgown of blue linen with no lace at all only a wide ribbon drawn through two large eyelet holes at the neck to keep it together i am telling you this to show that the pain and barrymore's lapse had taken my mind off macbeth and the wild notion of a possible army of germans concealed under the boscage and marching on park crescent but suddenly and now of course you will think i am only making copy and it may have been insects dying in their autumn milliards for though we had had a hot day it is cold of nights and the flies and daddy longlegs lie about numb and make some sort of noise dying perhaps or it was birds shifting on the boughs of trees where they had gone to roost i have seen frightened pheasants crash right down off the branches in tinsack woods or mice and rats and other rodents creeping about in the undergrowth beneath the boughs well whatever it may have been a distinct hum arose it grew and thickened into a low dull but quite perceptible roar pierced by short sharp clear sounds like the noise pieces of china make when they knock against each other in a cabinet i believe it was the coupling and uncoupling of trains on the district railway which we sometimes hear very plainly when the wind is in that direction i forgot that now and anyway there didn't seem to be any wind at all and in the growing swell there came another noise that i knew quite well connected with a certain urgency in my mind the sirens and hooters one hears and has to make good with in london on new year's eve instead of church bells to announce the stroke of midnight it is all poor old london can do to usher in the year of toil using the same signal that summons the workers from their few hours sleep why should it be used now at half-past one in the morning again and again it sounded closer and closer came the warnings now muffled now sharp now yearning now imperative all around me there began to be a dense wakefulness a sense of gloomy preparedness that made me think of soldiers that have been bivouacking summoned by the call to arms stretching and yawning blear-eyed but alert you know my ears ached as they used to do at the telephone in the beginning when one was too eager and listened with too much attention i was doing that now it was just like the poem of child roland and noise increasing like a bell for me all doubt was now at an end those sirens and hooters were warnings 
the germans were in london i was as sure of it as if i had been personally warned i took my breast with a thin red line all across it off the bar and left the window holding my nightgown together at the neck for it had suddenly grown very cold i felt what hunted animals feel the need to choose whether i would rush out into the open and take the chance of being killed or shelter in the depths of my cage which in the end would be surrounded i looked out again and was more sure yes the german hordes were even now hacking their way through the devoted east end a wave of obstinacy passed over me that i wouldn't even wake mother sleeping away so peacefully to the knowledge of the horror a moment sooner than she needed to be wakened that i alone would watch and let come what would yes i determined to be killed at my post at the window looking out over the regent's park it was exactly like that the first time i was at tinsack after i was grown up when my wretched aunt minna left me alone in the walled-up drawing-room just when the december light was fading that room in the lonely house in the wolds of yorkshire is haunted you know and it is called the walled-up room because of it nobody could sit in it once and a hundred years ago they got the priest with bell book and candle to lay the ghost in three of the corners which were forthwith bricked up with masonry and there the blunt corners are aunt minna had said coldly i'll be back in ten minutes will you come with me to see the puppy or will you stay here she added maliciously i warn you you hear noises as soon as the sun goes down they begin in this room the ghosts stirring in the corners jolly isn't it it's what made me marry your uncle to have this house i said i would stop till she came back i wasn't going to be browbeaten by an american aunt i sat down in the middle of the room on a stool embroidered so the legend says in crewels by uncle henry's great-great-great-grandmother now a ghost in one of the corners and repeated all the battle cries i knew to give me courage stand fast craigalachy and stick it the welsh it was no use the cracking began in one corner and then broke out in the other until all three were going at once my skin began to prickle i sat on the middle of my stool as if it was an island in a sea of terrors then i bolted and aunt minna was real mean about it i stood at the window now in park crescent and the dark room behind me was like a tomb i left off holding back the heavy curtains mother insists on having in any room she sleeps in she says it is what keeps her young and vigorous and it is also the reason why i detest sleeping in the same room with her i let them go they came to with a rush i ran helter-skelter past mother she seemed to me for the moment like an old person whom i would have to run back for when the time came and drag her to a place of safety and where i ran to in my bewilderment was audley's room on the other side of the passage he was the only man in the house and would have to be wakened audley's room was lighted up by the great electric standard in albany street one could almost see to read by it audley was stretched across not along the bed in the ordinary manner he was sound asleep with all his clothes on except his coat his shirt-sleeve was rolled back right up his forearm which was very white i noticed that he had evidently flung himself down on the bed as he was undressing and had been overcome with drowsiness he is used to sleeping casually taking his rest where and when he can get it half the time he told me when he is travelling he hasn't a bed at all or hesitates to get into the one provided for him in doubtful hotels and caravanserais i was possessed by the determination to awaken him for all our sakes not mine especially i pinched and cuffed him 
i took hold of him by the shoulder getting my arm round the curve as if it was a baby's it wasn't the least good he would not wake although i shouted in his ear a hundred times audley wake up audley you must audley the germans are here when i found i couldn't make the slightest impression on him my zeal to do so i can't understand why died down i suppose because i got physically tired one isn't used to trying to pull six foot two out of bed mother used to for fun when he wouldn't get up for breakfast pulling all the clothes off him but now he wasn't in the clothes to pull and at beardmore she used to stick acid drops between his sheets and those of the other men visitors too so that they couldn't manage to get into bed even what a long time it seems since the days of apple pie beds and i wasn't any more really frightened i was coming slowly out of the nightmare and seeing things the way one does in the waking from a dream bewildered it was mother's war talk at dinner worse than goose or lobster i knew in my heart of hearts that it was all mere hypothesis about an invasion but i still wanted audley to wake for a few sensible words from him would clear my brain and send me back to finish the night quietly in my own bed it maddened me to think that i could not get these few words from this immovable audley sleeping away so arrogantly against my will the blind was drawn up and the windows open too as i should have had if i had been in this room then i dare say i should have had a healthy sleep and not gone sleepwalking but as it was i felt as if i couldn't simply go back to that dull dark cavern again where mother lay sleeping in her adored stuffiness it was so lovely and calm in audley's room the standard lamp outside lit it faintly a still yellow glare less elfish and casual than moonlight peace descended on me like balm i have always had a notion that the mere neighbourhood of a healthy creature asleep even a dog is invigorating and bracing in a queer physiological way i didn't want to leave audley my present mascot i wandered all over the room touching things disturbing them and altering their places for no reason whatever like a magpie i passed my hands over the papers spread all over his dressing-table that he seemed to have no other use for audley is always perfectly clean and well-groomed but there is nothing dandified about him and his ways and though he has a valet he could do perfectly well without him that dressing-table treated like a writing-desk for instance it was simply covered with papers things i suppose he had turned out of his pocket pell-mell before lying down looking as if they had been carried about for days i was horrid i leisurely looked at audley's papers and my eyes seemed to single out the one that mattered to me it was a typewritten sheet of paper addressed to sir audley barr baronet you are requested to report to the commanding officer fifth battalion Normshire regiment on the eighteenth eight fifteen at fording bridge i turned round and saw audley was awake and one could not tell for how long he had been awake his eyes were wide open and he was staring at me in a way that made me feel how mean i was his gaze was so humiliating that to justify myself for coming into his room and reading his private papers i seized upon the old excuse of terror at the german invasion which seemed so infinitely unimportant now oh audley i was so frightened and i simply could not get you to wake audley then was most awfully good to me i quite loved him for it he would have had every right to turn me out of his room as a low sort of spy but he didn't scorn and abuse me but just pulled himself up and sat on the edge of the bed and held out his arms to me as if i were a little girl afraid of the dark who wanted comforting 
i had just hit upon his role in life he asked me no questions only repeated as you do to a child was it frightened was it frightened then a poor little thing to a great tall weedy grown-up woman like me it was slightly ridiculous but the best thing he could do he wouldn't admit to being upset by a girl walking into his bedroom in the middle of the night and calmly reading his private papers there's one nice trait about audley and i suppose he gets it from his wandering life he is never surprised at any human development or if he is he never shows it i don't believe he's ever seen me or even mother cry we arles don't cry presently when i felt better i got shy and left him and went to the window and looked out he watched me all was now intensely still there was not a murmur of course a room at the back of the house doesn't hear the same noises as a room on the other side and i explained to him the row there had been in the front where i had been sleeping i said that some local chatter or other had got on my nerves and that i had magnified it into an enemy landing one is bound to get these panics in wartime old girl he said now you run back to bed like a good child and don't worry about the germans any more they'll not get here or if they try the best of us will get ourselves killed in stopping them and it will be worked over there not in england to worry you he nodded his head in the direction of i suppose france you mean that you personally are going to stop them i did not like to allude more clearly to the colonel's order going to have a try at it audley mumbled pulling off his tie and collar with it what the thundering else i told him then how dreadfully upset mother would be and that he really should not have sprung a commission on her without consulting her as i knew he must have he answered mildly i couldn't have stayed at home and let little frightened guinea pigs with half a skin like bell-bell go out and expose their carefully manicured persons it wouldn't have been possible no let them take my old carcass instead i give it them freely but still i went on making mother the cover for my own objections mother has a right now look here audley said i love and respect your mother more than anyone else in the world but i could not allow her to dictate to me upon a point of honour why even bell bell smith didn't ask susan dowlius for her permission no my dear he brushed aside mother and spoke as if i were interceding with him not to go for myself you women must be content to be shunted in these days what does old kipling say white arms cling to the bridle rein red lips tarnish the scabbarded steel the only way a woman needs to mess with a man's trappings nowadays is to get some gesso and shine his buttons for him mother will do that for you all right i said i wanted to go but somehow i didn't know in the least how to get out of the room he tried to help me by ordering me out saying it wasn't decent and that i get cold and then out of contrariness i wanted to stay it wasn't a bit cold i said and i sat down in the armchair and asked him if he had got a cigarette about anywhere though i don't usually smoke he said he hadn't a lie we were fighting really he walked about the room as if he were composing i said i knew what he was thinking about and that i didn't envy him his job of telling mother i was sure he hadn't told her i said for she wouldn't in that case be sleeping away quietly in the next room nor would she have arranged to go back to lochroyan if she had known nothing not even papa would have moved her she would stay to see him off no i haven't told her you little fiend he said and there's going to be a fearful row he intimated that he could stand it all right if i would go away and let him get a few hours sleep poor audley he's such a very sleepy person but he can't always have everything the way he likes it he wants standing up to now and then 
he doesn't treat women with enough respect and consideration the more he seemed to want to be rid of me the more i made up my mind to stay till at last he did get me out with rudeness and kipling combined the wretch got into bed just as he was mumbling for me to take notice of take away your white arms and red lips and let a poor weary soldier wrap himself in his blanket and turn in before it is quite daylight can't you a pause look here you cruel cat clear out and do you mind drawing the curtains before you go to keep out the dawn i went to the window did what he asked and came back to him he put out his hand and pinched a corner of my nightgown as i passed i can't say i think much of your dishabille my dear his voice sounded half asleep he was pretending to be irresponsible so as to get off a good insult i guess bell-bell could give you points i told him he was an insolent beast and if he said any more i would draw the curtains and let in the light fully for it was coming in like anything and the birds were just beginning to shout i looked at him he was really asleep it was no use my going to bed again for sleep had been chased away i sat up and wrote some poetry audley hadn't asked me to give him any promise about not telling mother and i decided to leave them both alone and let them fight it out themselves this was over a week ago i lost this letter but will post it all to-day up to the time of writing six o'clock no one has said anything about audley and his commission and i don't think mother could keep a thing like that to herself she's going to lochroyan to-morrow by the ten o'clock king's cross there is this evening audley is coming to dinner i am going out to dine with the Leahys and on to a meeting of a committee of some welfare project they are trying to interest me in there are so many but one's name does seem to be some good after mother goes i am i hear to be planted out with various friends of mother's susan dowlius and lily st just among others i bargained for a stop at the gerald quain's country cottage just a sop in the wilderness of family or society women mother likes for me End of chapter 10 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine